0: Have your Bibles open up to James chapter one. James chapter one, going to be in verses one through eight. James chapter one, verses one through eight. I thought about preaching today since we got a little break uh, from my preaching, which is a break everyone needs uh, coming up for the next couple of weeks, and then then we got an ordination service, so that's sort of like a, a thematic break, right? So there'll be two three sermons there that aren't really part of a series. So I'd really thought about preaching today uh, a standalone sermon from the book of James um, that I felt like would just be apropos to where we are as a culture and society. And then the more I thought about that sermon, the more I thought, man, we need this whole book. We just need this whole book. And so I felt uh, the Lord leading me. I'd been planning to start a series through the middle part of Genesis today, uh, or, or this fall, this summer, and preach through the fall. And we'll get there one day. Uh, by God's grace, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get there. Uh, but right now, I, I felt like uh, James would be a good uh, sermon series for us to go through together. So, I hope you'll be blessed by James, and um, I look forward to preaching it, uh, studying it together as a church. If you have your Bible open there to James chapter one, verses one through eight, I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me out of reverence for the reading, of the words of our God, James. Right, you know i do this every week but i've kind of gotten out of the habit a little bit so i've had to get all my phrases back and so it's been tough i think i'm back at it james writes under the inspiration of the holy spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read god himself is speaking to us beginning verse one james a servant of god and of the lord jesus christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion greetings count it all joy my brothers in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray together. O oh Lord our God, I pray today that you would open our hearts and minds, God, to receive your word and, Father, to be changed by it. God, I pray we would see that which we lack when it comes to wisdom. And Lord, that we would pray and ask you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We desperately, and I mean desperately, need wisdom. And I think we need it now more than ever. Now, the reality is God has not stopped giving wisdom. God has not stopped offering wisdom. God has not ceased to be the source of wisdom. It's just that we've quit asking God for wisdom. And I think we recognize and see that as secularity increases in our culture, that society will less and less go to God for the answers. You see, we are self-satisfied. We have access to more knowledge, more information, than any people in the history of the world, ever. Your your kids and many of you, your grandchildren, right, are able to take a device and look things up that many of us never even thought about. They can know about things and learn about things. We have access to knowledge. And in our self-satisfaction and in our commitment to what we know and to what we can see and what we can touch, it seems... We have forgotten God. It seems we've forgotten God. And the lack of wisdom and the lack of someone to believe in has created instability in our lives and in our world. Don't think for a moment that when creatures forget their creator that there won't be all sorts of problems. I think we can look out in our world right now and see all sorts of of problems that are rooted in the fact we've forgotten who God is and what God has taught us. If you don't think, if you don't think that a loss of God in our society and a loss of the idea that God made man in his own image has led to a revival and a renaissance of white supremacy and racist feelings and thoughts and dispositions then you are very much mistaken. The the, the idea that there is no God leads to these things. And on top of that, if you don't think that when people see injustice and respond to it in ever more sinful ways, there are good ways to respond to and call for justice, and yet there are also ways that propagate injustice, make it worse, compound the issues. Don't think for a moment that some of that is not rooted in the fact that we have forgotten God. We need steadfast, sturdy Christians. Uh, We need Christians who believe God, who trust God, who their number one most reliable news source is God, that they look to God, that they are asking God for wisdom. We need steadfast, sturdy Christians who are committed to Christ and His truth, who are able to help stabilize the world we live in and to help there from that stability preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who desperately need it. And yet Christians are not immune to trouble. Uh, God has not promised. Contrary to what some dude with shiny hair and shiny teeth is going to say later on TV if you find the right channel. God has not promised Christians. God has not promised Christians that they are going to have perfect lives. And in fact, if you are going through trials and tribulations and struggles, it's not because you don't have enough faith. In fact, the scripture says something really closer to the opposite than it does that reality, which is that trials are ways that God tests our faith. It's ways that God proves our faith. You see, if we want stability in our lives, if we want sturdiness, if we want to be a rock in a sea of doubt, committed to the Lord, growing in the Lord with stability even in the midst of our own trials, we must look to the Lord for joy, we must look to the Lord for wisdom, and we must trust what He says when He says it. This morning, I want to point you to three commitments that you can make that will help bring stability and steadfastness to your life no matter what happens. No matter what happens, I believe if we will live out these truths, it doesn't mean you won't have problems. It doesn't mean you won't have trials. It means that you'll have sturdiness and stability in the midst of trials. These are three truths that can help you become steady and steadfast and sturdy, to help you be more like a rock because you're situated on the rock. In a world where all other ground is shifting sand, in a shifting sea of doubt, you can be sturdy and steadfast in Christ. Three truths to help you get there this morning. Here's the first. Here's the first today. Find joy in your trials. Find joy in your trials. Just yesterday, Whitney uh, told somebody that one of my favorite sayings that I very rarely live by is uh, that if, if God is sovereign, there's no such thing as hassle. And Whitney said, I'll tell you what, I hear a lot more about hassle than I do God's sovereignty in this house. I'll tell you that right now. If you're, if you're anything like me, I get upset over just the littlest little things. Sometimes. Not all the time. I like to think I'm getting a little better. but Anyway, we get upset over little things, much less big things. We find ourselves in a trial in life and we want to go immediately to, Lord, why are you doing this? Why am I having to go through this? What's the deal with this? But in order, so so it's difficult then to even think and consider what it might mean to find joy in trials. We're not even, the Bible's not even asking us to be neutral through our trials. Grin, you know, grit grit your teeth and bear it. Grin and bear it. Just get through it. That's not even what the scriptures saying. The scriptures saying, find joy in trials. I count it all joy, my brothers. You see, James is writing, he says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. I think he's using this sort of picture of Israel as a shorthand for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in his day and age, who, like the original 12 tribes of Israel, when they've been dispersed all over the world, were longing for the Messiah to come, were longing for the kingdom to come, longing to go back to the promise land. The same is true for the Lord's church, who are going through different trials and difficulties. James is saying to them, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We must recognize God's work, even in the difficult moments, and we must strive to find joy there. Now, that's easy to say, right? You come to me, come to my office, and say, Brother Matt, I'm going through the worst ordeal in my life i can't begin to even tell you what all i'm going through let me just start and this happened this happened this happened sounds like a country music song you know and i look at you from across the way and i say i'm going to tell you what you need to do find joy in these trials it's been such a pleasure meeting with you today i love you let's pray and you go out you say you think my goodness thank the lord Thank the Lord he doesn't charge for this, you know. <laughs> it's like somebody the other day asked me what my rate was for doing a wedding. I said, I don't do a good enough job to charge for that. You just When you get done, you just decide what it was worth, and I'll be thankful for whatever it is. I mean, of course, there's got to be more to it. What's the pathway to finding joy in trials, right? I, I don't want to just give you like trite Christianese, find joy in trials. Get, it, you know, get a vinyl on your wall at the house, you know, finding joy in trials. I, I want you to really see a pathway toward finding. How do we do it? I, I think the fundamental shift that we have to make in finding joy in a trial is recognizing that God is testing us through trials. Now, listen, I know what you think. If you're my age, I know what you think when you hear test. All right, you think Scantron sheet, you know. I've got to go in, take this test, and fill out the little blanks, and then I know what you're thinking. I hope there's very little red ink on this thing. That's what we think about when we think about a test, right? That it's sort of a negative thing. But I like to think about it more like this, that God is revealing, He's testing and revealing the faith that's there. And God knows what's there, but in so many ways, I think He's doing it for our sake as well that he's demonstrating to us how much we trust him and how much we need to trust him. So I think it's more like, less like a Scantron, and more like you have just got done building a swing and you've hung it up and you're testing the swing to make sure that it's a good swing, right? Or you've built a chair and you're testing the chair to see what's there. Not so much, I mean, listen, it can still go south, don't get me wrong, but we still want to make sure we're thinking about it more in those sorts of ways, Finding joy in trials must recognize that God is testing our faith. Notice this sort of walk that James takes us through. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Why should you? Do you see that? For you know. Are you all with me? Are you you tracking with sort of the logic of the text here? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials trials of various kinds. For you know, okay? So when you see a four in the Bible like that, you're, you're seeing he's making an argument. He's backing up what he's saying. He's not just saying, all right, amen, find some joy. We'll see y'all later. He's explaining to you how or why you might find joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Your faith is being tested when you go through a trial. And that produces steadfastness. Have you ever been through something? You've been through a trial. I know I have. And you look back and you say, would I ever want to do that again? No way. But man, how the Lord sustained me. How the Lord sustained me. I've talked to you all when I went through one of the most difficult seasons of ministry I've ever had. I'll never forget thinking back on that season. And I think I've said it from here in the pulpit and said, we, you all know I did not sustain the church during that time. I got depressed and grew a beard. No, gained a bunch of weight. No, God sustained me and the church during those difficult seasons, right? We look back and we see them. what does that mean? God is producing through trials steadfastness. He is helping us see how we need Him, how we are dependent on Him, how we must have Him to sustain us. And He's showing us the way our faith grows when we are dependent on Him steadfastness is produced through God's tests and then steadfastness ultimately leads us to a perfect and complete faith without lack now what that doesn't mean is that we hold to a sort of higher life theology that says at some point or another you're going to become perfect right um if if that theology is true I think I'm at the wrong church just looking around because I don't see anybody who's gotten there yet I love y'all y'all are wonderful but I've not I've not met anybody that's on the, the top plane of Christianity yet. Right? I'm certainly not. And, and and that's not that's not what this means. I I think what James is pointing us to in fact, as we trust God through trials, what we begin to recognize and realize is that our faith is growing. It's changing. And that as we go through trials and difficulties and tribulations, our focus isn't on us. It isn't on what we're going through. It isn't on what we're losing. Our focus is on God. We are becoming more and more steadfast. And we are looking out into a future where God makes all things new. We're looking forward to perfection and completion eventually we will lack in nothing and so joy is produced in trials precisely because we are being pointed forward in our trials. Not only are we being grown in our steadfastness, and God is revealing the faith we have and growing the faith we have, but on top of that, is we are growing in faith and becoming more steadfast, we are being pointed out into a future where Jesus makes all things perfect and we lack in nothing. We are being formed then through trials into having a resurrection worldview. All things will be made perfect and complete. And so even as we go through trials today, we have a future that we're looking out into knowing that one day we will all dwell perfectly in unity and love in the new heavens and the new earth. One day we won't have to hunker down in our homes for fear of disease. One day Jesus will make all things new. Trials press us into a Christward resurrection worldview that ought to produce joy. It ought to lead us to joy. It ought to lead us to say, no matter what happens today, I know who holds the future. And brothers and sisters, that gives, I don't know about you, but that gives me joy to know that Jesus is going to make all things right. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various And so if we're going to be sturdy Christians in a world that's uh, shifting in doubt, then we must find joy in trials. And there is almost nothing that will make you more countercultural in this world than finding joy in your trials. But second of all, our second point is this. Not only only must we find joy in trials, but second of all, you must seek wisdom in your life. Look for wisdom. What does the Bible say in verse 5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you guys. Is everybody ready? Some of y'all are wiser than others, but nobody, nobody in this room is complete in wisdom. So that, that sort of if any of you lacks wisdom, you might sit there and think, hmm, I wonder if this is me. It's you. Okay? It's you. That you this is, verse 5 is for you, okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful verse. Do you know how many days in my life I've clung to this verse? i said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to lead here. I don't know what I should be doing. Oh, Lord, please, I need your wisdom The world seems to have stopped looking for wisdom. Especially wisdom from God. However, sometimes I wonder if the same thing's true of believers. See, sometimes I get the sense that we're waiting on God to whisper what He wants us to do in our ear. Y'all notice this? Believers all the time say, I just don't know what God would have me do. I'll say, well, I won't tell you where I would start. It's by reading the Bible. <laughs> Look at what the Scripture says. And then look at the world around you. And then think back to the Lord's Prayer. What does He say? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to know what God's will looks like in heaven, read the Bible. If you want to know what God's will looks like on earth, look around you. And if earth doesn't match the Bible, then I'd start there. If you're wondering what to do, just start there. The places here that don't look like here, let's see if we can make a difference. Simply enough. Sometimes I, I think, we want God to whisper His will to us in our ear. And I think it's one of the reasons why the, Lord of the, the Lord's church is not as mobilized as it could be. I think we're not as mobilized as we could be because we have shifted our understanding of God's will in an unbiblical way. I think too many people are praying for God's will. It's a really controversial statement, right? But the Bible doesn't ask you to pray for God's will. You know what the Bible tells you to pray for? Wisdom. Wisdom to do what God would have you do. To to take the wisdom of the word and apply it in our hearts and get busy doing something. You see, the Bible wants you to pray for wisdom. I I think we've stopped doing the work of praying for and acting on wisdom. So often, I think, even when churches try to make decisions, I think so often what we do is we say, say, we just need to find out exactly what God would have us do. And that's true. We ought to pray. But I think we ought to pray for wisdom. I think we ought to pray for wisdom. That's how God reveals His Word to His people. He wants us to do the work of figuring out what is good and true and beautiful and acting on it with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look at what the Scripture says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him have you ever not known how to do something that you should probably know how to do i'll tell you what my i am not good at backing up a car at all i'm just not good at it um i feel like i'm good at some other stuff that's not one so i don't know if any of you are not good at backing up a car we're in this together now listen i'm just going to tell you something if you throw a trailer in the mix it gets downright abysmal it's really, really bad. And, uh, and, and so in A-Roney, Alabama, which is just a little outside of Double Bridges, Alabama, which is a suburb of Boaz, and uh, it's where I grew up. And uh, my dad sent me down with the trailer to get some gas for the lawnmower one time. And somehow or another, I got a, 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 a bollard there at the gas station between my vehicle and the trailer of <laughs> these concrete pillars. Somehow, I, don't know, I still don't know how it happened. And there's a lot of good old boys in Aeroni, Alabama, you might be surprised to know, and hanging out at the gas station. And this guy came over and he said, son, get out. <laughs> and he said, you, you don't do this a lot, do you? In other words, I needed wisdom. I didn't ask for wisdom. I got wisdom, but not without reproach. <laughs> right? I felt the judgment in the process of receiving the wisdom I needed. I think we've all been there. You're kind of afraid to get into a new hobby or whatever else because you you want to be the dork who doesn't know how to do it. Maybe maybe that filters. Maybe that has seeped into your spiritual life where you're like, I don't need to ask God this. I don't need to ask God for wisdom here. I ought to know this by now. I'm sure God, I mean, goodness gracious, it's God. Surely he's going to be frustrated. No, the Bible says he will give you wisdom without reproach, with perfect love. You go to him and he treats you like a loving father who will take care of you, who will make sure. It says he gives wisdom generously. He will give you wisdom. It's there. It's there for the taking. And while I say we ought to go to the scriptures, while I say we ought to use wisdom, that's not to say that there is no supernatural element to what's happening. I think God, by His Spirit, will illuminate for us the right things to do by wisdom. These things are working together. And so we go to the Lord, we ask the Lord for wisdom and we ask him to aid us and by his spirit to illuminate for us what we ought to do and how we ought to act as we read the bible as we pray as we seek wise counsel from other godly people and then finally we act we act and we recognize that wisdom is needed especially in our trials if we're going to find joy in trials if we're going to be sturdy in trials if we're not just going to be tossed about by everything that happens in life, we must have wisdom. We must ask God to show us how to apply what we know in a godly way. Find joy in your trials. Seek wisdom in your life. And finally, trust God's answers. Listen when God tells you. That's our third point this morning. Trust God's answers. This is one of the most vivid passages you can imagine. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his way. Now, health, wealth, and prosperity gospel hucksters have taken this verse and kind of twisted it and made it seem like if you ask God for a Corvette but you don't ask Him in faith, you're not going to get your Corvette. Or whatever it is you're asking for this week, I don't know. But that's not what this passage means. In fact, when he's talking about asking God for something, he's talking specifically about wisdom. We must ask God for wisdom in faith. What does that mean? What what does it mean to ask God without doubting? Does that mean that every person who's ever had a doubt about the Bible or Christianity is double-minded and totally, totally out of bounds and always tossed about by the wind and the waves? I sure hope not because I've had some doubts in my life. Everyone struggles with doubt from time to time. That's not exactly what this passage means is whether or not you're struggling with the truth of something. The question is when you ask God for wisdom, How are you acting when you receive it? Are you sort of holding out for better advice? In other words, what this means is a lot less about whether God will answer primarily through the word and more about how you respond. Let me me put it like this. You shouldn't be like me at a restaurant. Here's what I like to do. Whitney makes fun of me for this. The waitress comes up and I say, what should I get here? What's the thing I have to get? and Whitney knows, the waitress doesn't know, but Whitney knows and I know that I don't really care what she says. Now, why I'm wasting her time and mine, I don't know. But I am sitting there holding out. I've already got a pretty good mind what I'm going to order. Will she change my mind? I doubt it. I very much doubt it. But for some reason or another... I still ask. I guess I feel like it's polite. I don't know. Those of you out there who are watching today who are waitresses and gads and beyond, I'm sorry for how I act. I do think you have valid opinions about food. It's just that in that moment, for some reason or another, I probably shouldn't ask, but I do. I think sometimes that's how we are with the Lord. Here's what I think I'm going to do. Here's what I'm probably planning on doing. I've really got some wisdom already. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. I heard uh, a talk show host say this the other day. I read this in this book, and this is probably what I'm going to do, but I guess I should probably give some lip service to the Lord. And so to ask in not in faith means that we're going to God. We're saying, Lord, I need some wisdom. And if what you say is better than what I'm already planning on, I'll probably go with that. Such a person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because we're holding out thinking that we can find something better than what God gives us. And isn't that at its very core exactly what sin is? God in His commands has shown us how to navigate this world with joy and love and to properly enjoy the world He's given us. And yet we still want to believe what our flesh tells us and we still want to believe what the forked tongue that's whispering in our ear tells us that there is something better than what God has given you. Such a person who is holding on to the world's wisdom who's holding on to the wisdom of their flesh, who's willing to do the cunning suggestion of what the devil might say, and at the same time is giving lip service to God. What does the Bible say? The Bible says when we're wavering between whether to trust and obey or not, the results are devastating. Because the one who doubts in this way is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind you've been hit by a big wave you're, you're helpless right you're helpless with something seemingly so simple you see when we try to vacillate between trusting God's wisdom and our own wisdom we are tossed about like a wave by the sea we go whichever way the wind blows us you see the way this imagery is true if this person says this I might go with that if God says this I might try that out what an insult that is to our maker We become double-minded. A mind in this direction and a mind in that direction. And we become unstable. We become weak. We become tossed about. What do you expect to receive from the Lord? Do you really expect to benefit from the Lord's wisdom when you won't listen? One time, years, years ago, somebody y'all wouldn't know, not here in Gadsden, someone came to me and said, I'm real worried about my boyfriend. He's, He's... doing all kinds of stupid stuff, and I'm just not sure we should get married. And I said, you absolutely, definitely, 100% for sure should not marry that person. Neither of you need to be married. It's a big mistake. Do not get married. Two or three weeks later, they went to Las Vegas, got married. Okay. What do you do? A few weeks later, the guy gets arrested. I get the call. Why would God do this to me? Why would God do this to me? He's in jail. Why would God do this to me? That's what I mean by being double-minded. You know what you should do. And the Lord gives you opportunities to grow in wisdom. And yet you're holding out for something better. And then when things go south, we suddenly decide we want to blame God. All of a sudden we're like, wow, wow, God, wow. You let me have consequences. For my foolishness. Ask for wisdom, though, in faith, trusting God. Committed to obey whatever He says. And then even our trials will produce joy for us because we know that the Lord is at work. We begin to have a view of life that sees God as giving us wisdom and forming our conscience and helping us grow in the Lord. Until one day, even though we are frail and weak and we stumble along the way, one day Jesus will come and He'll get us and He'll make all these things things right. He'll wipe the sweat from our brow. He'll wipe the tears from our eyes and all things will be made perfect perfect and new wisdom helps us walk the path until we get there we desperately need wisdom and the world desperately needs sturdy steadfast christians my friends my hope and my prayer is that as we encounter various trials as we see what we lack we will ask god for wisdom And continually ask God for wisdom because He gives generously and without reproach. And my hope and my prayer is that we will ask Him, that we will trust Him, and that we will be stunned and amazed by the joy that the Lord can give even in our worst days. My prayer for each and every one of us as we navigate these storms of life And as we drift along here in a sea of doubt around us, and even so often a sea of doubt in our own hearts, I pray that we can say with the hymn writer, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I pray God will make you a rock, steadfast, faithful, joyful, wise, obedient, Rock in a sea of doubt. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord this morning. You'll have to do it there in your own pew, but you take a few moments here to pray as we reflect. And uh, as we take this time to reflect and ask the Lord to move in our hearts, if you have business to do with the Lord, if you're at home watching, you can email me. If you're here today, just catch me after the service. I'd love to talk with you this morning. And uh, if you have business to do with the Lord, I pray you would respond to Him in faith today whether that be joining the church whether that be trusting jesus and putting your faith in him for the first time or whether you're a believer who just needs some time to spend with the lord these moments are for you after this prayer you respond to the lord let's pray oh lord our god we thank you for the gospel of jesus christ and lord i do pray that you would give us wisdom in these days it's in jesus name we pray amen